Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. Thank you for joining us again this week. Today, we are going to get to know some of our co-hosts a little better. Kind of occurred to me that uh, many of the co-hosts that join each week are pretty interesting folks themselves. And often they're the ones that are interviewing or helping to interview. And we wanted to kind of turn the tables and let you know a little bit of, of the interesting and awesome things that they are doing. So with me today is Clement and Jill. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, John. Yeah. Really happy that you guys are, are here for this. So maybe um, I think our listeners have heard you. Hopefully they've been listening to all the episodes <laughs> and they've heard you lots. Uh, but why don't you introduce yourselves and maybe include a little bit your level of vision, but also tell us some of the stuff that maybe they don't know about you. Jill, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I haven't really been a co-host for a while, so it's a good refresher. Yeah, so I'm Jill. I have um, the eye condition, uh, retinopathy of prematurity. So I was low vision and then lost the rest of my sight. So now I'm totally blind. I graduated with a bachelor's degree, started my master's this past September. Um, I have a guide dog who I've had for about a year and a half now. And I'm a competitive swimmer. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to dig into some of that in a bit, but uh, Clement, tell us about you. All right. So my name is Clement and uh, I'm totally blind. I have been blind since birth with a very rare condition called Nori disease. Uh, I think there's only 400 or some odd cases in the world. So I'm rocking that and I'm proud of it. And uh, I am an ESL teacher. Or I, I was before the pandemic. Uh, I was working um, officially. Now I'm more freelance. Um, and I'm also a gamer and <clears throat> a martial artist and a musician, uh, among other things. <clears throat> um, I love to read. Uh, I love food, uh, especially the eating part. Um, and, um, yeah, pretty much enjoy trying, you know, everything under the sun that I haven't tried before. So let's start with, uh, your program, Jill, tell us about what are you, what are you doing? What are you studying? What's your master's in? Yeah. Um, so I guess I can start with the BA since I mentioned it first. Um, so I graduated in April. Yeah. April with a bachelor's of communication, and a print and digital publishing minor at Simon Fraser University. Um, that took me about five years. And my goal with that from its onset was to get into this master's program that I just started this September, which is a master's of publishing, um, mostly directed towards Canadian book publishing. Um, but there, so much, this semester was my first semester and it's mostly book publishing. But next semester, we're gonna kind of dive into a bit more of um, like magazine and web publishing as well, just like kind of multi multimedia publishing. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it's been pretty intense as most masters, you know, seemingly are. Um, I think like the 
kind of the biggest and most cool thing we've done so far is um, we had to do what we called like the book, uh, the book project. So we were split. There's 15 students in total, and we were broken up into groups of five, and we had to create um, a sub company or a imprint is what you call it in the publishing industry, where we were given like an existing company, and we had to create kind of a sub company underneath of them, like kind of with their own mandate, mission statement, all that fun stuff. Like basically their same values, just a little bit different. Um, and we had to create um, like, it, it's all a simulation, I'll pretend, but we had to come up with a fall 2023, like list of books that we were pretending to sell and create. Mm-hmm. So we literally did everything for these books, except for actually having to write them. So we came up with like the ideas, the author, like the author's story, like background, their life, like the book covers, um, uh, the marketing, like all the marketing and sales and budgets for each book. Wow. Uh, all of that. And then our final kind of thing that we just had last, this past Friday was we had to um, give a like a 45 minute presentation to real life Canadian publishing industry people and like basically tell them about our company and sell our books to them, which is like a simulation of what you would do in the real world. So pretty crazy, pretty intense. It was everything that I was hoping for. And it it was, it was a lot, but it was really, really cool. So that's so cool. (laughs) Huh? So I feel like, um, there must be some aspects of that that are challenging, not being able to see, especially I'm thinking like designing the book. Cover. Yeah. Yes. How, how do you navigate that? Um, so thanks. Like, thanks to my undergrad, I had some experience in a design, like in design courses um, because I like I mainly wanted to understand as much of the industry and as much of the publishing process as I could. So that, of course, includes design. Um, and because I'm like totally blind, I have um, what we at SFU or Simon Fraser, we call an access aid. Um, in my case, it's she. She's hired through the school to like to assist me in any visual components of any of my courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, it's pretty rare. Usually it's like a different person each semester kind of thing, but I've had her um, for the past, I think five years, maybe four years. Um, so basically with the design, especially with the covers, because that was one of our like individual assignments was we take one of the books that we our group came up with and we had to design, um, it was the same book, but three different covers um, kind of based around three different genres, whether it be like, you know, nonfiction memoir or like a fantasy book or like a mystery thriller. Like we had to come up with three different cover representing the three different genres. And the way that I kind of, do it is that um like the ideas are mine like I want this photo on the cover and I want the text to be this big and I want it to be here and I you know I want these colors and this kind of font and this is how big the book is going to be and so I come up with all of the literally all the specs for it all the ideas for it mm-hmm. and then she takes that and we work together um because of the pandemic it's been kind of over the phone rather than in person um but then she'll take my ideas and we'll work together and with her computer she'll go do like Mm -hmm. literally go make it on the computer with the specific computer software we use in the industry Mm -hmm. um so she's basically the eyeballs of the operation but 
all the the ideas are mine so she's yeah. is implementing my ideas basically so this it's kind is, of tedious but it that, works <laughs> yeah that's not, i mean i'm thinking of okay so first of all we did an episode oh gosh at least a year ago probably is that the same person that you came you brought her on the podcast and we talked yeah. a bit about that yeah yeah that so, yeah i forgot about that was her yes yeah so <laughs> if true. people haven't heard that episode um it was about navigating university when you're blind and it was a really interesting conversation with your access aid um talking a little bit more about that so people can check that out for sure mm-hmm. but i'm also reminded of we did an episode where we were talking with colin bennett Ushlin about the fireworks so he developed this whole fireworks display that was tactile and kind of had to like describe his vision to somebody who helped make it happen so mm-hmm. it's like there's a, this artistic process in this as well right Jill yeah. You've got this, yeah this image in your mind and then you want to the other person has to help you kind of put it to paper so exactly and like the the beauty of um like the access that I work with she's worked with me for years so we work very well together and like she understands my sometimes very chaotic descriptions of what I want <laughs> it to look like because it's me um and I can be very confusing at times but she also has like, her background um she's a very artsy person in very many ways like she's a musician and she you know she makes quilts and she like does she does animation and like music for movies like she has so many kind of artsy components to her uh, her skill set mm-hmm. so that was a really big asset um when she got hired on with me because a lot of it is either she's describing something to me that's visual or I'm taking this very visual assignment and like based off of like I understand all the theory and the concept behind um you know that visual element of the assignment and she's taking all of my ideas and just throwing them into a computer program and that's how it is and um we've done various like tactile kind of elements as well so mm-hmm. it's not just me like here's a description go take it and go do it like she will help me make things tactile especially when I was first learning like the different kinds of fonts or how like you know the comparison of how big an image on a book cover would be compared to the text or something like that um so we had a lot of tactile elements as well but with this master's program you're moving so quickly like we did the whole um the book project I explained we did that in like eight weeks and in the real world you're working on one book for about a year to a year and a half we mm-hmm. were working on four books in eight weeks. <laughs> so yeah. it's like they do their best to make it as, you know, of course, as realistic as possible. But within the constraints of a semester, it's not always quite possible. Um, so we didn't have a lot of time to make things tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a lot of this is why and like because I'm in the master's, I did the publishing um, minor with my bachelor's. So I, a lot of those skills that I needed, I learned then and we're mm-hmm. just expanding on them within the master's program. Right. And plus with my group, like we were kind of assigned different roles and I was definitely not the designer because yeah. we didn't really have enough time for me to be the designer. And that's not really my interest or my direction with my career either. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it's still really, really important that you understand to the best of your ability, each component of for sure that process. So, yeah. yeah. So what is your goal? What's the end goal? <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> uh, yeah right uh, um so far 
it kind of has changed over the last few months now that I know kind of more about the different careers within the publishing industry. Um, mainly because like the publishing industry in Canada is quite small compared to the rest of the world, to be honest. But um, the two main, I guess, fields within the industry I'm interested in right now are um, something in audiobook production. Oh, cool. um, I'm really, really fascinated by that. Or, um, but I think my kind of number one choice right now would be what we call a literary agent. Um, so I would be an agent, authors would come to me with their manuscripts um, or like kind of the first draft of their novel or book or whatever. And I would, you know, take a read and I would help them to kind of rework it if needed into a book that kind of flows a bit better. That would work yeah. a bit more. Yeah. And then I would help create um, like a pitch to, that we would give to um, like a, a publishing company or, that would best represent their genre of their book. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of like different publishing companies, whether they're like the, you know, top five corporation ones or like the independent small, small little guys in the industry in Canada, mm-hmm. um, that you have to kind of focus on certain genres. Um, like not every company does every single genre. It's quite specific. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would then like take that author's book. Uh, I would take the author's book after we kind of reworked it a bit and kind of pitch it to them. And I basically would be advocating for the author to make sure, you know, they were getting what they wanted from this process. So if the book didn't get changed too much right. to where it's not even theirs anymore, or the cover is what they wanted, mm-hmm. or, you know, they were getting the proper amount that they should be getting paid for mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that's my main that's interest cool. is the literary agent or um, yeah, that's kind of the main goal. And then like the third possible option, cause there's so many is um, being um, it's called a structural or st- a structural and stylistic editor. There's like four kind of main types of editing within the book process. Um, and the two that I'm interested in are kind of the first two that would happen to a book. So like structural editing is, you kind of rearrange like the chapters and the paragraphs and mm-hmm. um, like kind of the bigger parts of the book to make it flow better overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stylistic editing is where you, or it's also called line editing, where you literally go line by line and like this word you've used it too many times, or you can take all these words out and your sentence will, you know, be a lot tighter and a lot neater and get the same yeah. point across, like those things. Um, I'm not a spelling and grammar person. That is my biggest weakness <laughs> within the editing. Mm. Um, and like, that's the one everyone thinks of when they think of editing, but that's only one portion of it. Um, so yeah, basically something in the audiobook production, literary agent, or a structural slash stylistic editor, not specifically in that order, but so there. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bring Clement back in. I promise. Mm-hmm. But I, I have this, like, I've always wanted to write a book. And so mm-hmm. this is like really fascinating to me. And I'm so excited that I know someone who knows all these, these things. So like, yeah, um, I get that a lot. Actually, does the author pay you directly? So if, if say I write a book and I want to hire you, or I want to hire you as my agent, to read it and tell me if anything, if it's good to rearrange the chapters, like to help me promote it, to help me get a publisher. Like, like what, what does someone pay for something like that? I, I don't mean, what do you charge? Cause you're not oh, done yeah. yet, no. but just in <laughs> general, like what is that yeah. process cost? That really depends on like the person you're hiring. So like an editor, if, cause there's like in-house editing where you work under that company or you can do freelance editing. 
So like if you were a freelance editor, you would charge by um, not only the hour, but you would also charge by how many words or how many pages you can edit in, in that hour. Mm. Um, so let's say in an hour you can edit, let's say rough example, like 10 pages. And that's like the whole, every like small detail edit that you would probably, char- you could probably charge anywhere from like 30 to 50 bucks, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Cause it, it's such a tedious process or it can be, and it's, you're doing yeah. a lot depending on how big the book is yeah. as where um, for like an agent or a designer or publisher, or whoever to get paid um, that is kind of contract based. So what ends up happening a lot in the publishing industry is you, like as a publishing company, you put up you put a lot of money out there up front to get the book ready to like to sell into the market. Yeah. But then um so you put a lot of money in at the start and then you kind of have to wait for the money to get come back to you and get paid. Yeah. Yeah. So like um when a book is sold, um, there's a certain percentage of that sale that would go like a certain percentage will go to the author. A certain right. percentage will go to the uh, agent if there is one because there doesn't always have to be an agent certain percentage goes to the publishing company so it kind of mm-hmm. we call those royalties um right kind of thing so it's it's kind of a salary based as well um dep- it really depends on the position that you're in um but the editor example is kind of the most like direct yeah. one i could give you right now yeah okay it's very cool. complicated actually yes sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. awesome during your bachelor's one of your projects was to record a podcast and i think clement was part of that podcast, but, um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was our final project for, um, I think it was like a publishing, sorry, speaking of Kiki, um, it, was, it was a podcast, final project, um, we did a podcast, um, and it could be on any topic we wanted. It could be as long or as short as we wanted and, you know, with whoever we wanted. And at the time, um, I was struggling with, some issues at that previous swim club that I had mentioned. Um, so the topic was all around ableism within sports, um, specifically, specifically as a disabled para swimmer. Um, and I just wanted to get you know other people's experiences um, to that topic, issues they've experienced, condescension, ableism. Um, so Clement and Nika actually were my um, my guests. And it just was a really big, really great conversation all about ableism in sports and, you know, how we have dealt with those experiences and struggles. So, yeah, it was really, it was a really fun experience. Um, And I got to see kind of your guys' side of it for once. So that was Mm -hmm. really interesting as well. Awesome. Is that podcast on your blog website or can people find it? Oh, you should put it on there. I didn't, yeah, I didn't actually post it anywhere, but I sh- that's a good idea. I should post it. It's like, it, it exists. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's a thing. Um, I definitely should post it on my website, actually. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we can maybe share a link to it in our show yeah. notes for our listeners if you want to. You should do that for the um, Heinrichson Connections blog. Yes. We'll cool. do that for the blog as well. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, let's hear a bit from Clement here. So Clement, the biggest thing I'm so excited about, probably maybe even more excited than you is, uh, and I finally, you have a new job as a narrator for Descriptive Video Works and your first 
movie <laughs> that you described is on Netflix this, this holiday season. Well, I guess it'll be there all the time, um, which I finally watched on the weekend. And it was so amazing to hear your voice through the whole movie. So tell us, tell us about this. Tell us about the movie. Tell us about how this came to be. I just want to know all the things, all the things. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, so, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, that, that, that was cool thinking about that. Uh, because, uh, I've known you for so long and this is something that I probably never would have ever imagined doing, mm -hmm. uh, or getting the chance to do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because this is one of those examples of how you never know what can happen, uh, if you just step out and try and do something. Um, so the, you know, we, we a few months ago, we recorded a podcast, uh, with Brandon Cole, who's a friend of mine, uh, about gaming and, you know, accessible gaming, which is one of my hobbies, as I described earlier. And, uh, after this, uh, email, I got, uh, so I got an email from Sean or after this podcast, sorry, I got an email from Sean one day, um, saying, Hey, so somebody contact me, but contacted me, um, about you, about your voice. Um, and they were wondering if they wanted to, you know, if you want, if you would mind doing some narration for them. And I said, what company? She said, Descriptive Video Works. And I was like, what? Uh, that's unexpected. Um, <laughs> as some people may know, I've, I was also the, you know, we, I hosted the Harry Potter Club, uh, the book club in, uh, during the first year of the pandemic. Uh, and we read through three of the books together. Now, I wish I had that as recorded material to show people. Uh, mm. That would have been fun, but... Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I did that. I did it at that time and I thought, oh, just, this is fun. I love reading to kids and I love reading out loud um, and I love Harry Potter. So why not just do it? Uh, little did I know that it was a warm up act um, because uh, Melissa from uh, Descriptive Video Works contacted me and said, hey, we have, you know, we're wondering if we would, you know, if you'd be willing to come on as a um, as a contract narrator, because uh, that's what narrators all do. It's contract. Um, and she said, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be steady work, but you know, every now and then we might ask you to come read some things for, uh, for an, for a movie or for a TV show and, or for, for an event or something. And I was like, okay, I mean, nothing to lose. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I decided to try it and I said, yes. And, um, she said, and the first thing she sent me was, so I have a project for you, uh, and it's a movie on Netflix. And I was like, uh, pardon, <laughs> that's not where I expected that to go. I thought it was going to be, you know, something local or, uh, you know, maybe, um, a local event or mm. just something smaller. Yeah. Um, but ironically it, it's, you know, I've, I've done three projects now. Oh, uh, really? I've done three and they've, it, they, they, it's, it's all, it's really funny because they've gone from bigger to smaller to smaller. Oh, really? So, <laughs> <laughs> I will talk about that in a second, but you know, so okay. she, she asked me, uh, to, to, you know, to come in and do some work. And that day, uh, that happened to be, um, I had come out of, we, we just finished renovations at my house and I was feeling pretty raspy because of all the dust. And I was, you know, I was sleeping in a bedroom that was still dusty and we hadn't finished it yet. And so, uh, I had a bit of a cold for that, that whole month. Um, it might've been laryngitis. I don't actually remember, but mm. she said, can you come in and do it? And I said, well, I don't know. Cause, uh, I, my, my voice is the way it is. And I said, okay, but you know, I'll, we'll, we'll, let's try and make it work. So, you know, she, she called me, uh, and she, we set up a time for me to go into the studio. Uh, and we, and I sat down on the microphone and they gave me the script and 
I read this whole movie um, in about that day, four hours that oh. day. Yeah. Um, and we ha- I mean, of course, I had to come back and I had to do pickups and stuff. So, OK, the, the process for this, how, how narration works uh, when you're describing is you don't actually get to watch the whole movie. Right. Uh, which would be awesome because I would totally do the job just to be able to get sneak previews and movies <laughs> than everyone else. Um, but so they, you know, they, they give you the lines and the lines are very specifically coded uh, to specific moments in the movie. Um, and, you know, so you, they will cue you in and they'll count you down. This is a five, four, three, two, one here. And then you have to read the line. Um, and then depending on the line and depending on that particular moment in a movie, uh, you might have to read it again faster. You might have to read it uh, with more energy. You might have to read it with less energy. You know, kind of every way, forward, backwards, upside down. Um, <laughs> and it, it's interesting because you you that's when you kind of learn that uh, writing audio description, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, there's a lot, you know, as, as someone who loves language and who loves languages, um, you have to choose your words very carefully to make it exciting and to, you know... Um, also make it fit uh, the moment you're trying to describe so that, you know, six different things don't happen when you're trying to describe one. Um, You have to find a style of description. Do you want to be very bare bones and describe what is happening? Or do you want to be uh, a type of narrator that, you know, Sean and I, we've we've both talked about this before that, you know, we personally aren't so much a fan of where it's almost like color commentary where everything is being described and, and, you know, so you kind of had to go through that process of, uh, you know, as a narrator, I don't get to go through that process. I just get to read what they give me. Um, but of course, it's fun because, you know, me and the the mixing engineer, we get to kind of look at a line. We're like, ah, I'm not sure if we like it that way. Um, and so, you know, we might record it, you know, just for fun, just an alternate take, um, you know, with, with an article or without an article, uh, as in, you know, uh, or the, you know, um, and you know we'll send that in, and we'll just kind of give them what they like. Um, and because you know this is all being digitally edited, uh, every take we record is around, so they can splice them together, they can take them apart, they can, mm-hmm. um, you know, take half of one and half of another one and put them together, and they can take one third of you know three different takes and mix them all together. So mm-hmm. it was it was pretty fun, um, but definitely you know. It, it is exhausting for anybody who has, who's never done narration work or been in the studio for a long time when you talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. You know, I know people say I talk a lot, but, <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, that it's it, it gets exhausting, mm-hmm. um, which is probably why the older I get, the less I try to talk because, uh, you know, you, you realize that sometimes talking too much is just more than what's necessary. Um, but when you do a job like that, that is basically your job is to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. So the movie is called Falling for Christmas. Uh, it is a rom com. Um, That's why you kept telling me to watch it. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's a, it's a you know it's a very typical kind of hallmark uh, you know warm and fuzzy heartfelt Christmas movie, which is which is great. Um, and then you know this is in another interesting thing. Uh, bef- you know, and I'll let you feel more questions. But the the other interesting thing about this whole process is because you get to watch bits of the movie, it's kind of like being teased. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm kind of, and you know, part of me comes, oh, no, I just want to watch the whole thing because I want to know what's happening. Um, 
because you get all these little moments out of context and some of them are you know really big moments you know very spoilery moments right and yeah. so once you've done all that it's kind of like well i kind of have an idea what's happening but dang it i just want to watch the whole thing <laughs> um so yeah. have you have you watched it uh, I am still in the middle of it uh, because, <laughs> as many people who know me well know, I cannot stand to hear my own voice. I was um, gonna ask, how weird is it to hear your own voice? It's, it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did you did really well though. I yeah. thought it was a it's a good. I like the movie, but I just also super got a kick out of Clement being in my living room with me. Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, <laughs> so so back on record, yeah, it was it was kind of weird. Yeah, it was a little weird, you know, hearing, it's a little weird hearing my own voice. Um, and especially, you know, thinking about the fact that I, I still can't believe the fact that I did it when I was sick and they thought it was good enough to put out. Hmm. Uh, that, that you know, I, I just, it floors me. Um, and, you know, the, the whole process is, it's, it's actually pretty simple. You know, you get the line, um, I had a Braille display. Um, and then, you know, we just read the lines as many times as we needed to. Um, again, while, and of course you, you, they play the movie, uh, back when you're reading that line. So you get, you kind of get to hear little bits of dialogue and little bits of things. So like I said, you know, it, it's very, it's very informative and, you know, it makes you want to watch the whole thing for sure. Um, and you know, it's, so it came out, uh, a few months ago and not only is it on Netflix, it's also one of the few Netflix movies that gets also a theatrical run. So I don't know how many people have heard my voice now, um, but I do know that uh, a while after it came out, uh, Melissa forwarded me an email um, from a consumer. I don't know who this consumer is, um, but someone sent in a positive comment on the audio description, um, which apparently doesn't happen a lot. So oh, wow. that, was, that was that was super humbling, and I you know I, I never thought this was something that would ever go the way it did, um, but that was very very humbling. So what are the other things that you've you've narrated now uh so two things uh one i've done a um a game show for a one of the gaming companies in um in canada uh ubisoft well they're they're not canadian but they they have they're pretty well established here in in uh in canada in montreal okay and um i did a so it was a show that was showcasing some of their upcoming games hmm. uh some of the you know developer interviews uh some of the staff interviews that kind of thing um so they streamed that and i did the i did the narration for that people can find that uh on youtube as well uh okay. that's for free so you don't have to pay you don't have to pay for it to go watch it uh and um i also just did a a couple of segments last week for um a cbc original called the new wave of stand-up uh and that'll be coming out i don't know when that's coming out because that's something else that um, I don't, I don't really get told, um, as to when do we expect these things. Mm -hmm. Um, but when they do come out, you know, people can go check that out as well. And that's cool. featuring some really great Canadian comedians. And I, I'm definitely going to watch it because the bits of comedy I heard, uh, while I was recording the lines, uh, were definitely very captivating. So I find there's not usually a ton of description required in stand up, right? Well, it depends on the comedian, I guess. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because this is kind of a lot of it. A lot of it is much more locational and kind of minor details about what they're wearing, where they're mm -hmm. sitting, uh, the location of the stage, and you know, kind of little things that they do. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lot of lines. It was maybe three or four for each particular segment. And you know, mm -hmm. I'm guessing each segment is probably about ten minutes. 
So it's not going to be a whole lot. It's mostly opening credits, closing credits. Um, And, you know, every kind of wherever, I guess, the writers felt it was uh, pertinent to have a key moment described. Okay. Let's talk about sports since both of you are athletic types. So Jill, you mentioned swimming. Um, Tell us about that. What, 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 what do you do? Where do you swim? (laughs) Who do you swim with? What are your goals? What are your strokes? Tell us. Yeah. Um, So I started, um, like I I grew up knowing how to swim, but not the proper like four strokes, flip turns, none of that. And it's, it's kind of something I always wanted to learn how to do. Um, and when I moved down to the lower mainland, um, tried to get into it and then school just got so crazy, didn't happen then. And then about three years ago, I guess, I think, um, actually right, right as, uh, right before the pandemic, I was with a local club here in Burnaby. Um, and then because I was older than most of the summers, I was like, I think 24, um, and the COVID rules, I was asked to leave. So I went to a club in North Vancouver. So I had to commute quite a ways for practice at each week. And I was swimming um, about three to four times a week in North Vancouver. Um, and just didn't have a very good experience with the swim club there. Um, There's just some, a lot of disagreements <laughs> and um, with the coach and the way that we were being coached. Uh, and I say we because um, another co-host of uh, the podcast Nika. Um, she also swims. We swim together um, with the same clubs. So when I say we, I do mean her because I say we all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so her and I um, basically we had talked about le- switching clubs again. Um, but right before we had switched to the club we're currently with, we actually had the opportunity in July to go to the BC summer games, um, to swim in the para events there, which was super cool. Um, that was my first provincial, um, swimming ever. So like pretty intense, a little terrifying. Um, and it was like my biggest competition. I'd only ever done kind of smaller local ones then. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the nice thing is in Prince George, BC, which is only five hours from my hometown. So my family could actually come and watch for once, oh, cool. which was super exciting. Um, and so I competed in uh, five, four or five events there. Um, and so my swim strokes are, um, so my, be- okay, there's two different ones. The ones I'm good at are freestyle and backstroke. And the ones that I love are backstroke and butterfly. Um, I hate breaststroke with a burning passion. It is not my stroke. I struggle like desperately with it. Really? Um, I just, I can't get the kick right. And it drives me crazy. I was (laughs) doing the whole thing wrong for so long. And part of the reason we were wanting to leave clubs is uh, the one club we were currently, we previously was with was because they weren't teaching us properly. That was Mm. fun. Um, But aside from, you know, not knowing everything about a competition at that point, like I didn't know diving or flip turns at that time. Um, Still won medals. So that was pretty exciting. I, I won a silver in 50 meter freestyle, bronze in uh, in 100 meter backstroke, and then bronze in 100 meter butterfly. So that was really cool. Um, I was really pumped about that. Um, and then um, we had made the decision together and individually to move to the current club, like the club we're with currently, mm-hmm. um, which is um, the, the Pacific Sea Wolves in South Surrey, White Rock area. 
Oh, so again, quite a bit of a commute. Um, but we were really trying to find a club that had para coaching experience because the clubs that I had been at previously, um, didn't have a lot of experience with para swimmers, um, a little bit of like awkward kind of condescending angles that I don't do well with. (laughs) I don't learn well if you're condescending. So it wasn't previously the right fit. Um, so this current club, the Pacific Sea Wolves, um, they have had some, they have a couple pair of swimmers in different class levels than I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I'm an S11 swimmer, um, which is like the to- totally blind level. Um, so they've had experience with other pair of swimmers, not specifically visually impaired blind swimmers, but they were willing to take us on. Um, so we've been swimming with them f- since September. So what, four months now? roughly almost three months. Um, and we've done about two swim meets with them. Um, and in the three months or so that I've been with them, I, in the first swim meet, I got to the, um, exact time. So swimming is very time oriented. Mm-hmm. You're always trying to beat your previous and best times. So the first swim meet with this new club, I had, um, I was very like one second off of my best time from the BC games, mm-hmm. super close. And then the second event or second swim meet we just had um, uh, a couple like two weeks ago, I believe. I actually surpassed my best time for 50 freestyle, which was super exciting. Um, so the goal kind of now is to see if we can make it to the provincial qualification times. Um, and then just try to keep going further, go to provincials, go to nationals, international. Um, and my goal is honestly, like, I just wanted to learn the proper swim strokes, the dives, the flip turns, all, just all the techniques. Um, and the more that I learned those, the more that I fell in love with it. And kind of the goal now is just to see how far I can go with actually competing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the ultimate dream is to go to the Paralympics <laughs> for swimming. Yeah. Um, not sure if that'll ever happen, but cause I, you know, I'm really short and swimmers are tall. So <laughs> there's a little bit of a, struggle there already um and because I got into swimming competitively later on in my yes. life yeah as well as kind of jumping from a couple clubs just due to coaching and coaching issues um and not being taught properly which was unfortunate not our fault but um so we're kind of a bit behind in a few of those aspects which is unfortunate but the goal is not the upcoming um is it 20 20- 24 not definitely not those olympics maybe not even the 28 olympics maybe the the 32 like 20 32 olympics um that's kind of where i'm aiming for but we'll see what happens in the meantime but i'm loving it and this club is the perfect fit the commute is farther even than the north vancouver one um which is unfortunate but i'm willing to do whatever i can to do the sport that i love so oh good luck that's cool i think you must really love it to be willing to do that kind of commute multiple times a week on top of everything else you're doing. That's amazing. (laughs) I love it though. And I love the water and plus being in class all week and just sitting on a desk. I need something physical, something active to do. Yes. So swimming is a really nice reprieve from sitting in class all day. Totally. Totally. Oh yeah. I love swimming too. I miss it. That's, I don't know how you do backstroke though and love it. I love backstroke. (laughs) Backstroke for me was, is butter or is, is breaststroke for you. So I didn't, I don't know. I just like zigzagged (laughs) all over the lane and 
Okay. Yeah, I still do that for sure. But definitely <laughs> from the time when I first started till now, I definitely do not veer and zigzag near as much as I used to. So that's been that's fun good. to learn to not do. Yeah, because you lose a lot of time with the zigging and yeah, zagging. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Big process. Yes. Okay, Clement, tell us about your martial arts. Um. So... Uh, you know, I, I've I've been into martial arts since I was a kid. Uh, I've never done them, but I grew up on all the classic, you know, martial arts films with Bruce Lee, uh, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, um, and some you know other more kind of local, kind of homegrown stuff. But you know, I, I I've I've always loved them, um, mostly because you know they've always kind of struck me as really interesting in the sense that you know as as someone who was born totally blind, I I feel like a lot of us don't have a concept or a reference to what a you know what a punch looks like what a kick looks like or even you know the find that the fact that there are different kinds of punches there you are. know <laughs> yes yeah exactly okay. right um you know in, in in the sense that you know some punches will use you know your knuckles right that's what we think about but then there's also punches that will use the side of your hand like a, like the, in a similar way you would swing a knife um, there are sim there are punches that would use you know your the palm or the heel of your palm, mm. and so you know it's it was all really interesting to me because it felt different. And of course, you know as a blind person, feelings and touch and uh, different tactile sensations, you know, are kind of the point of fascination for us, right? Or one of them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always wanted to do martial arts, and I always wanted to do weapons because weapons uh, are cool, and because audibly it's very loud and it's very satisfying to hear weapons clang or clash together and stuff and so i always wanted to do that um but i never got the chance to because uh you know like jill said earlier i don't learn very well when i get condescended to and the only teachers who were willing to take me were ones who took me in a very condescending way um and you know my family also never really pushed me to do it although my dad would you know verbally encourage me uh, that I should, oh, you should do this, you should do that. But they, you know, there wasn't ever a concerted kind of effort to help me find a dojo or a club. Um, and so uh, around 2011, uh, I met a guy named Johnny Tai, who we've talked to, I think, before uh, on the show. And he, you know, he's also a martial artist who, uh, you know, his life basically revolves around it. Um, and so, you know, we, we got to talking and I started kind of reinv reinvigorating this dream of, oh, you know, maybe I could go somewhere with this. Um, <clears throat> so I looked for a lot of different places um, and, you know, kept running into this, a lot of the same problems. The fact that teachers just weren't willing to take the risk uh, because some martial arts are dangerous, uh, you know, especially once you get into ones where there are, you know, you're throwing people around and there's flips and there's mm -hmm. different ways to fall and stuff. You know, it's a lot, it's, it's pretty daunting uh, thinking about it, uh, you know, how to teach a blind person. And even, even now as someone who does it, you know, I always have to think about if I was to teach a blind person, how would I explain this? Uh, and some of it is hard uh, because again, we don't have concepts for some of these movements because we've never experienced them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I found this, I found an Aikido group, uh, and Aikido is a Japanese martial art that's, um, similar in some ways to Judo. Uh, they have similar roots, but Aikido is more self or, uh, more self-defense oriented, uh, and more practical. Whereas Judo nowadays, um, of course is a Paralympic sport and Olympic sport. Um, so that's how it's mostly practiced now. Um, whereas Aikido, uh, 
sticks to more traditional martial arts roots of uh, being practical uh, in terms of self-defense, but also having a very philosophical side to it um, that teaches, you know, how to, how to live life in a certain way uh, while learning, you know, kind of really interesting, at least to me, is transferring the body movements, uh, learning lessons from the body movements that will help you live life a certain way or help you learn how to treat other people. So hmm. um, I found a group, uh, you know, that was willing to take me. Uh, they said, well, we have no idea what we're doing, but if you're willing to come, we're willing to try. So um, I I started joining uh, back in 2016, and it's been six years now. Um, and I just recently finished a test um, on the 24th of November and I passed, uh, and it was freaking me out because it was a test where I had to memorize, I had to memorize a total of 50 possible techniques that I could get tested on. Um, and out of those 50, I didn't know what my teacher was going to call. So, mm. uh, that was stressful. Um, and that kind of put me into the mindset of, uh, you know, what it must be like for a fight. You never know what's going to come up and you kind of have to just be ready to do anything. Right. So memorizing 50 techniques was crazy. I never, never had to do that before. Um, and not only memorize them, but also, you know, dig into the finer details of each one, where to put my hand, uh, where to move my foot, how far to move my foot, uh, how far I have to be from my opponent or how close I have to be to my, from my opponent, um, that kind of thing. So, that was cool. Um, I passed, which means uh, the next exam I take will be a big one. It'll be a milestone for me. Uh, it'll be the black belt exam. Wow. So, um, that is, that's a huge step. Um, and Aikido is not competitive, um, unlike most other martial arts, uh, like judo or MMA or karate. Um, so there's no, you know, the, the only way of, you know, the, the purpose of Aikido is more for growth and for learning discipline and uh, kind of cultivating mental character. Um, so, you know, our measuring stones are, you know, they, they show up in testing, of course, but also, you know, when you, when we do demonstrations, um, and just in every everyday practice. Um, and that's what I love about it. It's, it's something that I get to do that, um, doesn't, doesn't quite have the competitive politics and competition stresses that a lot of other sports do. Um, but it is something that doesn't cut me any slack and I still get to push myself to be better and, and, you know, in, in a way, in a way compete, um, but not, um, in a kind of officialized, formalized competitive setting. So is there any, do you do sparring or anything like that? Yeah. Grappling, so sparring, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So when the, the, the upper, the upper levels, um, once you get to kind of about where I am, you know, after class. Some of us will stay around and we'll horse around a little bit. Um, I always say, you know, it's it's like how everybody used to play fight in the schoolyard, mm -hmm. uh, except now they teach you how to do it properly. Right. <laughs> and, you know, uh, now when you fall, there's a soft mat to fall on instead of concrete or wood chips. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and now when someone throws you around or pushes you, you can do cool flips and you can push them back and you can throw each other around and, you know, understand that, you know, everybody is doing it for fun and keeping each other, keeping each other safe. Um, so yeah, we do, it is, there is some, uh, sparring, um, 
and you know the the higher level up you go the more advanced you get so uh my my goal is to eventually get to a level where uh my instructor will let me spar against multiple people at once uh mm. because that looks cool as a heck in the movies and uh i would Yikes. love to be able to do that <laughs> that sounds scary <laughs> awesome uh okay Jill, you mentioned you got a guide dog about a year and a half ago, and I know that you have started a blog. I think it's all about your dog. Can yes. you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got Kiki. Her name is Kiki. Um, she's a female um, purebred black Labrador um, from the Seeing Eye. I feel like the Seeing Eye has been mentioned or guide dogs have been mentioned multiple mm -hmm. times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to get into that too much, but yeah, I've had her for about... Um, yeah, about a year and a half. And it's been really great for me. I've always been a huge dog person. Um, a guide dog was something that I always wanted to, you know, try out and see how it went. And I fell in love and probably won't go back if, yeah, I probably would continue to get dogs. Um, but I, when I did a lot of research into kind of what guide dog, like training school, training center, whatever I wanted to go into, um, I found that a lot of people had made, um, blogs or video logs vlogs or whatever they're actually called um on like online and just all this research and i really loved the idea of people kind of you know recounting their experience but i knew that like during training it was just gonna be too intense too busy that i wouldn't have time or the dedication or motivation to do it at that time but it was something that i always kind of really liked the idea of and i figured that's something i'd want to do eventually um and I just, yeah, like, um, after Kiki and I got home and settled in and kind of fell into a really good routine, I started playing on the idea more and just developed it um, and finally actually created the website and actually made blogs. And um, so it's called harnessingconnections.wordpress.com. Um, so it's all, yeah, um, every post that I do is all about um, experiences with Kiki and just like from um, kind of the, it's like meet the team. So meet me, get to know me, get to know Kiki and her personality and what she likes and doesn't like and how crazy and goofy she is, but how good of a worker she is. And from like, and then other ones are like kind of her grooming routine and some like unfortunate, um, not serious, but still frustrating some medical issues that she was experiencing. And, you know, like um, just like, cute and funny things that she does like there's just you know whatever kind of topic whether it's a specific experience or just kind of overarching you know past few months of stuff we've been up to or whatever just everything about her that I think people might find interesting but it's also like kind of the two main reasons I wanted to post and create a blog um, about the experience of having a guide dog is just to keep track of all the you know, silly and cute and just really random. My dog's really weird at times. So like, I wanted to keep track of all the, you know, the cute and funny memories and all the stories and everything yeah. to do with her. Um, but also like for, for me, when I was doing my research into, you know, go, getting a guide dog and everything that goes along with that, I really found those other people's blogs really, really helpful and informative. So I kind of wanted to, I guess, maybe give back a little bit that way. Mm -hmm. to try and help, you know, other people find information and, you know, kind of a day-to-day -day or, you know, experience of what it's like having a guide dog every day and everything, 
because there's a lot that goes into it um, and just, you know, trying to help people understand what it's like to give them a better idea if that's something that they want for themselves or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been I, really good. <laughs> I totally relate with the, I mean, I post things on Facebook that are cute that mm-hmm. my son does and I always have, and it's really for me to capture you know, in my memories. And it's so cool to look back and be yeah. like, Oh yeah, that was so cute that they, that he did that or whatever. So you're exactly. like creating this, like the equivalent of a photo album, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, Clement's met Kiki, like in that harness and like, she's just such like, I call her sweet, sassy and silly is like her three, three S's that would describe her perfectly. Cause she's so goofy. And there's just so many, like, really random weird little goofy thing she does that's like how do you not want to like capture that moment mm-hmm. like photos you know can't see them they don't really yeah. don't care as much if I post a photo it's more for my sighted family members and friends but a blog right. is just my own words my stories about the like my dog that's such a huge part of my life now mm-hmm. that I just want to and I also have a really bad memory um, I think my master's program is like burning my brain. <laughs> my memory is like going so bad. Uh, so I wanted to like write down all these really cute little funny stories for my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was just kind of, and it's like, you know, I don't expect them to be like this crazy viral blog kind of thing. That's not the goal of it. It's just to share with people, people can read it if they're interested and just, you know, it's a fun little hobby for me. I enjoy writing. I enjoy editing, giving <laughs> you know, my degrees. Um, so, and it's, I'm a way better, um, experiential or opinion writer than I am a creative, creative writing. I'm not my thing. Um, and the idea kind of came from like the limitless blog and helping with that on and off. Um, and like, I kind of like this, but like, let's do one all about Kiki because she's great and she's my dog and I can do it. So yeah, <laughs> it was cool. That's awesome. developed and it's been really good so far. <laughs> Good for you for actually like figuring out how to create a website and a blog also. A lot of that <laughs> is credit to my bachelor's degree. That was something awesome. part of my publishing minor. We had to learn that. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Clement, you mentioned video gaming. It's not even called video gaming, is Great it? Church. It's just gaming. I'm such a geek or, <laughs> or not a geek, I guess, because I don't know these things, but... <laughs> Lately, I've had conversations with a few kids who are partially sighted, who are curious about games or or have mentioned games not being accessible or have said things like, well, the games that are accessible are kind of lame. We want the popular games to be accessible. I just like, what's your opinion of gaming and how do you we don't have that much time. I was going to say, how much, I was going to say, how much time do you, how much time do we have? Not a lot of time, but just sort of <clears throat> sum up, like, how do you find an accessible game? What do you like about it? Like, mm. like tell us a little bit about your gaming passion. Uh, so, so before we talk about gaming, I'm going to go on record and say, Jill has confirmed with me that I'm one of Kiki's favorite people. Oh, yes, okay. that's true. She gets very excited when she sees Clement and uh, he gets her worked up like no one else. And I'm a, I'm a bad influence yeah. because she gets excited when she sees me, when she's yeah. supposed to get excited. In Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just that appealing. Okay. What can I say? Um, so <laughs> Kiki really likes guys. What can I say? There you go. Um, so one of the, um, things about, I mean, how, how do I find an accessible game? I mean, that that's a loaded question in and of itself because the, the question of accessible 
I think, you know, when it comes to gaming is a little different. Um, you know, there's, because accessible doesn't necessarily mean that there are features to, uh, you know, help blind people out. Uh, people will sometimes use the words accessible and playable interchangeably. Um, you know, so that's something you have to be careful of as well, you know, but I think one thing that, you know, happens sometimes when I look for a game is, um, I mean, first of all, now, now that accessibility is becoming more of a discussion, uh, among developers in the gaming industry, there have been games that are more accessible, um, deliberately, uh, with features like, you know, narration for the menus, um, you know, tracking objectives that'll help you navigate a bigger world. Um, things like that. And so, <clears throat> you know, but there's also games that don't have these features that are just accessible by nature, like games where, you know, the, the main point of a game is to fight in 2d. So you only move left to right. Uh, you might have to jump or crouch, but it's a very limited area to move. And, um, you know, the fighting is done in an enclosed space and there's only two directions you can move. Mm -hmm. uh, those games are, you know, at, at, at a very basic level, playable. Uh, mm -hmm. If you learn to recognize the sounds for different things. Um, and what I find really interesting is for these games, especially uh, fighting games, they also, as a blind person, will help you develop uh, spatial skills um, in terms of how to figure out how close you are to an opponent or um, what a, what your action will do, um, you know, or, or sorry, how how an action will change your orientation in the game space, oh. stuff like that, um, and that actually transfers very very well to O and M, which was something that I wish I had talked about when I was talking about martial arts. Uh, that's something else I could talk for. Maybe we should have another episode about that, um, how to learn O and M in unexpected ways, mm. but. Um, you know, so that's that all that all goes into the process of uh, trying to find a game and say, you know, as as a totally blind person, especially, how much of this can I play? Uh, can I play only the segments where there's combat, or can I finish the entire game um, without having to ask for sighted help? And you know, sometimes uh, there will be games that have audible cues and audible sounds that are therefore immersion. Um, not for accessibility, but they will be things that help with accessibility. Like, for example, there's a game that I really like um, called 13 Sentinels, and it's a it's a sci-fi uh, kind of time travel based game. But um, part of it involves <coughs> uh, characters uh, kind of not meditating, contemplating certain words, you know, that they hear from the conversations around them. And um, <clears throat> because it's meant to simulate their thoughts, when you move between the keywords, um, those keywords are read out loud, kind of like a screen reader. Mm. Um, and that's not accessibility. That is just purely there for immersion. Uh, but you know, little things like that can help with accessibility. Um, and then of course, when you actually choose to contemplate that keyword, that's all fully narrated as well. So, you know, and it's even cooler because it's not just a TTS, it's the actual voice actor or voice actress for the character right. who is reading out those choices. Um, and that same game has, you know, sounds for when you can interact some with something, when you're walking around in the game world, it'll beep. And again, that's not for specifically accessibility. 
it just happens to be one of those features that was dropped in there for design and for atmosphere or whatever, but that tends to work. So um, what I would say, you know, to sum that all up is, you know, if, if a blind person with low vision or uh, who is totally blind wants to find games that they can play that are popular, um, it's very possible. Um, you just can't expect every game to be accessible by design. A lot of them will be accessible um, accidentally. Um, and there'll be little little features in there that'll help with accessibility, but it won't be specifically labeled um, you know, as being accessible to blind people. Um, okay. and the more and the more you play them and the more you look around and the more you kind of know what to look for, um, the easier it'll get. And you know, part of part of that kind of translates into me. I, I've I've been thinking about this for a long time. I'm sitting on this. Um, I have been I have been wanting to get into game streaming and going on YouTube and Twitch and talking about games that I find accessible. Um, there just still needs to be some finer details worked out, and I still need to get some help um, figuring out whether I have you know what I need to be able to do it. But that is something that I definitely want to do for sure. Well, I was just going to ask, like, is there a website somewhere that lists games that are accessible or like, does, is there a platform where people can like find out uh, whether it, like, so the, the kid I was talking to today was an iPad game, but it's called roadblocks and it, there's little prompts that are printed that are too small for him to read. Yep. And he's frustrated, right? Cause his brother can yep. like just skim through and and is way better than he is. And there's certain yep. things he can't do because he can't yep. read the prompts. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, Roblox is one of those games that if you're, if you're completely blind is not going to be playable. And that's, that's also something, you know, that you're going to have to accept is that some games just aren't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it kind of, kind of reflects, you know, for me, um, how, how we live life as blind persons, as bl- blind persons, blind people, uh, sometimes is, you know, there, there's, you know, many times out of 10, you know, seven or eight times, there'll be an alternate way of doing things, or there'll be, um, you know, something that we can do to either partially or fully enjoy something or be part of something. But there's also just going to be those, you know, that handful mm-hmm. of times when it just doesn't work. You right. Know, and we have to, and we have to move on and pick our battles. Right. So there's definitely got to be games. There's, there's definitely going to be games like that. Um, and as for a platform, uh, well, I mentioned Brandon Cole earlier. His website's a great place to start. His website is brandoncole.net, um, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-C-O-L-E.net. Um, <clears throat> and he focuses mainly on popular console games, so games on the PS5, PC, Xbox 360, uh, not 360, that's going back a long time, <laughs> Xbox Series X, uh, you know, things like that. Um but if you want the, you know, if people are wanting to find out a place for, you know, games specifically made by blind people and um, uh, popular console games, the place is audiogames.net, A-U-D-I-O-G-A-M-E-S.net. And, the, and of course, the hard thing is the reason there isn't one centralized resource for these things is because, again, what every everybody's definition of accessible is going to be different. Uh you know, everybody is going to be willing to jump through different hoops to play certain games. Uh, you know, there will be games where I'll go, no way, that is impossible. Whereas another blind person might say, oh yeah, you know, I just wandered around for half an hour until I figured out how to, until I figured out where to go next. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just don't have the patience for that kind of thing. So, 
Right. Um, it really, you know, everybody's threshold is going to be different. Um, uh, but you know, even having said that, if a blind person says that they can do it, I will still give it a try, even if I don't think it's possible because it may be more possible than I think. Right. Awesome. Well, you got to get that YouTube channel up and running. I think, I think that would be awesome to explain, like you've done a great job here and we also do have an episode back in the vault, uh, in the archives about, about video games with Brandon Cole. So if you want more details, if you're a gamer, not a video gamer, just a gamer, (laughs) check that out. (laughs) I, we are, we have to wrap up because this is getting long and you guys just have too many talents and interesting things, but I did want to mention a few other things. So Jill, um, (laughs) is also a great, baker and cook and has been leading our baking with blind beginnings program. And also this year we're calling it limitless lunch. So just like, thank you so much, Jill. I have learned a lot of kitchen stuff from this program. It's not, wasn't designed to teach me, but I get to learn just because I'm there. So I really appreciate that. It's been really great. I actually really enjoyed doing it. So, yeah. So that's something else that you're good at. And, uh, and you enjoy, right? I love it. Yeah. I like, it's funny. You called me, you said it's my talent. I'm like, I never thought of that before, but like, I definitely had a lot of like, my parents and just vision teachers, um, who were really great at cooking. So I, a lot of my skills are from them. So just kind of took that and went with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And another talent that I have to mention about Clement, if, and and anyone who's had the privilege to hear him. Um, he's a very talented musician and we have the best campfire sing-alongs ever <laughs> at yep, Blind Beginnings. We do. <laughs> yes. So Clement. I love him. Yeah. You are an amazing guitar player and play by ear and can sing so many songs and know so many lyrics and are just a great leader as well. So I, I'm so like, I feel privileged to, to be able to attend those, your, those sing-alongs with you. Oh, thanks, John. I've, I'm glad you keep inviting me year after year, and I'm hoping that continues. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here, and hopefully our listeners have a bigger glimpse into your lives and, you know, what you're also doing beyond host, co-hosting the podcast. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Oh, thanks, John, for giving us the chance. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.